idea because you're literally operating against your beliefs. You have to kind of take action to change what you think about yourself. So you have to kind of contradict your own thinking, which is hard. It's a difficult thing. What's up, people? My name is Katie Friesen, and you're listening to Humans of the World podcast. This podcast gives you insights into human behavior. It's walking a mile in someone else's shoes, understanding why people act the way that they do. Make sure to give us a follow on Instagram. That's at Humans of the World Podcast. If you don't have Instagram, check out the website, www.humansoftheworld.co. There you can join our community group chat on Telegram. You can talk with different people from around the world, different cultures. There'll be free giveaways, guest access, all cool and exclusive stuff to the Telegram group chat. I would love to meet with you guys. I would love to chat with you. You can find it on Instagram or on the website. Thank you for being you. Thank you for being great. And I hope you enjoy this next conversation. Paint a, if, if you're comfortable with it, just paint a picture of kind of maybe like your life as a kid, um, just so that maybe people have an idea if you're comfortable with it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different aspects. Like we just, we lived in like a really, okay, so let's just start where like where I lived. Um, <laughs> I lived... And there was like three, eventually four people once my stepdad comes into the picture. Um, I lived in like, what is the equivalent of a studio apartment? It had to be like less than 600 square feet, like way less than 600 square feet. And there was like four people living in there. Um, and like, I slept in my crib literally to like, my, like my childhood crib until my legs literally poked out the front, like, you know, like literally. Um, and like, you know, just like really, poor uh the floor was completely undone the kitchen and the living room sorry th there wasn't a living room first off like the hallway to get into the house like that was it like the bathroom was on the right sure. one door to the right and then like the kitchen area is really more like a kitchenette like maybe it was all together like six feet wide right. maybe by six maybe six by six um and like it was so like to paint you a picture it was so tight that uh <laughs> there was the the kitchen table and like you either had to like pull out a chair to sit or you had to put the chair away to stand in the kitchen um yeah um and then the bedroom it was like the bed was up against the wall <laughs> and there was just like just enough to like walk in by one side and then the other side was like like my crib like my mother and sister used to right. sit like sleep on the in the big bed I used to sleep in my childhood crib um my stepdad eventually used to sleep on like a piece of foam in the hallway like that's how poor we were um like and like you know there's like rats in the ceiling that you could hear that like, they sounded like cats to be honest uh like they're huge yeah um and yeah um our neighbors were kind of zany I mean we met them too they were just people who like were older or like like very poor people like who were like kind of living on medicaid or whatever like they were just disabled or whatnot um and yeah you you know what's really striking to me too um like looking back at it it's crazy how many more fights you have in like low-income households versus like in affluent neighborhoods that has always like stayed with me um yeah and question these fights are mostly uh caused by money or what like financial I mean, stresses, at the root or? at the root of it yes but okay. uh it manifests in a lot of different ways 
like to the untrained eye, like I feel like they might say, oh, and these people are just like super conflictive. Um, not really. Like these people are just like struggling in every aspect of their life. So it becomes like anything becomes an enormous like hurdle. And there's also fear and, you know, there's fear, shame, like all those emotions, like a nice cocktail of them. Like you would hear the neighbors <clears throat> downstairs and across because it was kind of like this little like... Uh, it was, there's a word in Spanish like un solar uh that's essentially what we lived in like uh and a solar is like basically like it's almost like a little courtyard where like the sun comes through but like there's there's buildings or whatever like around. okay yeah, yeah I think I know it's like it's kind of covered by buildings but there's a little middle spot yeah and the, like that happened to be grassy but like basically on the other side it was if you were to look at it from a real estate investor standpoint this was a multi-family uh plot uh, okay but uh yeah, there was two apartments up top for my remember one apartment down and then there was a bigger apartment across the way um yeah and that big apartment man the family that lived there wow like they'd have it out like you know <laughs> like yeah. you would hear it big time um quick question for you um now that you're older and like reflect on some of these experiences like just this one in particular like what piece of advice would you give to like, let's say the people who are constantly feeling stressed? Like what, what, would, what would be the advice let's say you'd give to your, your families or, or the other people provided they would like accept it, you know? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, that is a heavy question. Uh, it's just <laughs> like, I think it's such, you need a way out ultimately um any you know financially or whatever or you need some distance from the situation to like get out of that like you know i think like i love this like hip-hop has really like covered the subject a lot understandably um and like kendrick lamar i think has a, a line that like chef's kiss <laughs> um something about like his his perception being vandalized in a sense well in this particular song he's like attributing it to another person but i think he also talks about like the cycle of the environment that he's in like causes become effects and effects become causes right. stuff like that right? right and it's kind of like <clears throat> when you're stuck in that so actually i'll i'll say it through the context of the art which i think is like again chef's chef's kiss uh he so this is a very different context from, I think, what most listeners will be like, you know, but uh, in the album, he's recounting a story of his life where he's in like a gang fight, right? And, um, you know, they're doing what they always do. They go around, they're riding, they're like locked and loaded, and they're about to like basically run up or drive up on like uh, a group of people and just like shoot them. And it's like, you know in the in the song if there's an ad lib portion where it's like the, the music stops and then you literally hear like they get off and it's like bah, 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 bah. and then one of them is like got him and it's like yeah ooh. but then what ends up happening is one of his best friends gets shot mm -hmm. um and he goes to the hospital but he doesn't make it and that made him realize that really like was sobering to him 
because it's like this is real this has like real consequences this isn't a game right mm-hmm. versus to the outside it's like of course it's not a game you're playing with guns blah blah blah, blah. but it's like when you're in that environment that's a very extreme example uh. when you're in that environment you don't have the perspective to really see like what you're doing what's going on what this means and for him it was like a huge realization that his emotions his perceptions and things like that were leading to behavior that created these events and on a smaller scale that's kind of what happens with like all like poverty and stuff like that like you're stressed so you or you're afraid so you don't take the risks or make the moves that you need to like get out of the situation or you don't invest the time to learn because you're like oh I'm so poor I'm so time like deprived that like I can't afford to like go to school or whatever right right yeah it's it's like yeah when you're dealing with issues or struggling with problems you don't really understand them until you've like overcome them kind of thing and then you can kind of do the reflection on it I guess yeah. to some degree That'd be yeah fair. yeah vice is honestly like I know this is just like find a way to get out honestly like and how like how would you you know like what <laughs> education yeah. is a good way but it's like school's not your thing which I understand that school is not some people's thing um like I guess I was very fortunate well, in some sense, I was very fortunate that like people would just hand me A's uh, from my perspective, you know, um, like I would just like show up, they'd ask me some questions, they'd be like, oh, these are easy questions. And then just, you know, and then yeah. that led to me not valuing school down the line, which then yeah. led to me being like, why the fuck am I doing this? But anyway, right. uh, again, also because I didn't have that perspective of what school meant and like that it was really like this status thing for like career building that was that was like completely lost on me because right. nobody in my school had like I mean first off we were gen- first generation immigrants but second off like nobody had gone to you know nobody had gone to like an American college and like done career building and like understood what all that meant so I was like right. I thought school was to get an actual education which you know arguably it's not uh but whatever <laughs> like uh yeah anyway um so when I saw that I wasn't learning in school I was like what is this bullshit but anyway um (laughs) if school's not your thing um which I understand if it's not uh learn a trade like legit Mm -hmm. go and learn a trade do you gotta you're gonna work have to work like extra hard because you're doing it without resources uh Mm. you have to like turn some of like the anger and like the frustration that you have on into fuel to like you know make it work for you to just push through and like do something to get out or like if you have like family which typically you don't in these situations but if you did have family like go live with them go to a different environment like change your environment find a way to make some money ideally legally um you know like yeah quick sorry question for you um I know also you're you're very into kind of like controlling the mind and than buddhism sorry just correct me wherever i'm wrong yeah, yeah question for you do you think it's possible like let's say that someone was given the tools of the mind right do you think that someone would be it's possible even just to change your mind right change the perspective and then like you can go out and do things or do you think that it's incredibly hard to do that unless you like kind of get your basic needs covered should, should we say it's a hard thing to sell people on when they're hungry and got it like it's a very hard thing to sell people on when they're angry or whatever um I was very fortunate because I had like a series of interventions where some very very good I guess you can call them social workers or counselors Mm -hmm. 
sort of in a way through their actions taught me that I can take control of my mind and not be like completely like stuck in these situations. Like I had people intervene at several points in my life, which kind of gave me that perspective. And I feel like probably like helped me not end up like on a radically different path. Um, so yeah, very fortunate through that. Um, but yeah, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell. Like, honestly, it's, this is kind of like a fucked up thing to say, but it's just the truth. Like, um, I feel like somebody would be much more receptive to that if like they were already like imprisoned, like they already like had Sorry. hit rock bottom or whatever. And now in prison, they're like, had their foods taken care of, they're institutionalized. So then at that right. point, if you want to teach them Zen, you want to teach them how to control their emotions and stuff like that. It's like a different conversation and it is successful. Like there's accounts mm -hmm. of like that happening. Um, like many accounts actually in this uh in several books that i've read like there are people who, like there are practitioners in the field who right. go out and that's what they do that's the work that they do um but there has to be like that basic level i guess if we're looking at like maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever like you can't really you got to get that base level covered at least yeah i mean i think even zen within zen itself it acknowledges that there's like a stage of like just pure like uh, okay. wanting and need Survival. and like yeah that's like kind of like the lowest level um yeah in fact like their whole idea of reincarnation or whatever like you can reincarnate as like a hungry ghost and essentially like all you are is like needs which i feel like is a really good metaphor for like because there are people there are people who are hungry ghosts not to debase them as individuals but that they're a product of their circumstances like you know right um yeah but now that you mentioned <laughs> that um and we'll hop back into your story, but I do kind of want to ask this question first. What's your opinion on nature versus, not nature versus nurture, but like, like how much do you assign to, I guess, personal responsibility? And then how much do you assign to like, as a product of your environment? Like, I know they're not completely like competing, but sometimes there are kind of competing theory of thoughts. I think it kind of boils down to something that's very simple, like your perspective, your individuality is formed from your experiences. Like, who are you separate from your experiences? Like, if I put you in a vacuum, what would you be? Right. Nothing. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like, I don't know, right? Like, literally, just as a thought of experiment. Um, so I think that that, that uh, particular debate sometimes, um, I mean, I understand why people, and they're obviously you need to get to, you cannot get ahead, I think, until you have some level of self-actualization, but um, yeah, you typically the people who are saying, like, hey, you should just like, they come from a, a they're higher up on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, so they've never right. even had to consider right. like all the stuff that like can lie uh, below where they happen to like start on the board, you know? Um, Right. I guess maybe that that language doesn't really appropriately. So I guess so my this is the where my mind goes to. And then I'd be curious to know your thoughts because you have a lot more authority on this topic. But um, so if it is your product, your circumstances, and I agree, right, we all are essentially influenced by the experiences that we've had in our lives and that shapes us and all that kind of stuff. Um, so then I guess the only question is, right, so if you are a product of your circumstances, right, it kind of comes down to the external and internal locus of control, right? So then is it just luck, right? Like, is it just absolute straight luck that you meet someone and someone kind of helps you, you know, 
see a different way to live or whatever it is, right? It helps you kind of get out of maybe the tough circumstances you're in, right? Because then I guess in my mind, it just comes down to, to luck, right? And I guess for, uh, from my standpoint, it's like, I don't want to believe that's only luck, but I mean, maybe that's just the reality of it, right? Well, I mean, lucky. I want to clarify and like, I mean, few things are 100% one, like white, there's like very right. few things that are white or black, right? Like, right. yes, yeah. you have like potentially nature, like natural characteristics, right. like just things that you tend to and stuff like that, like that may or may not be adaptive in certain situations, like, you know, but I mean, even if, even your personal characteristics, like, or what the way your method of operating can be appropriate in some circumstances and inappropriate in others. So like right. the context that you exist in never ceases to be a factor. Like, um, yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, yeah. No, it's fair. Um, it's unfair. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> is it a hundred percent luck? I mean, no. Uh, but in some sense, if you really zoom out, like even your personal characteristics, it's like your drive, right. your particular, like, you know, to some degree, yes. Like, I mean, can right. you change your mind? Absolutely. Yes. Also, but you know, the receptiveness to change your mind in the first place, like, right yeah i mean okay. yeah so i don't know if you get what i mean but no yeah. i understand i understand right um and i think that yeah it's just always kind of a question that i that i kind of have or whatever and like i don't haven't had the same experiences right as as you or as other people so yeah like i think yeah. if you in those environments you'll find that some people like naturally have some better coping mechanisms or whatever um okay. or you know just like people have a variety of characteristics again some of them are adaptive and some are not in in some circumstances some people are like very wise and they're able to like, right. kind of keep it, their head cool or whatever and like right. you know maybe those people do better or worse but uh you know some people are very ambitious and like that ambition ultimately leads them to try more things which then leads right. to more learning whatever um right. i mean i guess for me personally um i uh I always wanted to know what life was like outside of like my lived experience. Um, yeah. So that drove me to like explore. And also it's like, again, a little bit of it, I guess, is nature. Like I think, you know, ADHD types such as myself, <laughs> we tend to like, uh, you know, I don't want to generalize for everybody, but I mean, for me, it was certainly the case. We we like to try a lot of things and like mm -hmm. we get bored easily and we want to like see what the trickety trick is and like, how do I like come at this from a different, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And eventually that led to like discovering some interesting stuff, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, so then taking it back to, you had mentioned that uh, you had some social workers slash counselors that kind of you had yeah. some influential <laughs> moments in your life do you want to kind of elaborate a little bit more on that yeah um well I mean a key one that I will remember is in fourth grade I had like an angry outburst um and you know I feel like it was just such a small thing but it was just kind of like you never know what's going to set you off when you're like seething with anger essentially okay. um and it just so happened that there were cops at the school that day. 
Um, and I don't know, you know, I'm not going to like try to like, like blame anybody. I mean, it's definitely, you know, my, it was because I was feeling a certain way and then I reacted a certain way that led to the situation. Absolutely take like ownership of that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just remember like the cops like called me over or something like that. And like, they just got like testy with me and I'm like a nine. So like put this in perspective, right? right. And they take <laughs> me like, they take me into like the principal's office and they're like, oh, uh, you're really not doing yourself any favors, son. And I don't know, it's kind of like pissed me off even more because it's like, who the fuck are you, right? Like, fuck you, <laughs> you don't know me, right? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, what did they do? They like arrested me. They put me in the back of their car and they took me to a like psychiatric unit uh, where I basically spent like, I don't know, I don't know how many weeks, but I spent like several weeks on essentially like a retreat, you know, Um, which I think ultimately was good um, because it also let me like experience some consequences without them being like, like severe and it kind of like made me think like you know should I really have to change something because like if I continue to like operate this way it's not going to be good um um yeah and I don't remember exactly the individual coaching but I know that in in there they also did some work again man by the way shout out to like all the people who work in these places like so gentle and caring and loving like literally wonderful wonderful times i don't remember actually like needing and wanting anything like for a second while i was there um in fact the people that were there i remember they would make me hot chocolate because i that's what i used to drink sometimes before i went to bed to make and they would make it for me uh and like give it to me and i was like fantastic um yeah so and i also got to meet other people from different walks of life that um also ended up in like these situations i also got to see some like examples of like people who were really like far in if you know what i mean like really really angry like i actually had i actually had this room where they put you in <clears throat> essentially like they lock you up essentially because you're like potentially dangerous to other people um and they literally like communicate like you're basically in solitary essentially like they open up a little grate <laughs> And it's like, you know, here's your food. Like, oh, no. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like a uh-huh. metal reinforced door. I remember just thinking like, I'm not, not going to do that. Yeah. And this is for like, this is for like younger kids or that like what, what age? Yeah, the, all the kids were okay. around my age. I think, I think oh, the wow. point yeah. was maybe like 13, 14 or something. Like if you were ah. a teenager, you'd get moved. Yeah. These were young kids. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like if you were a preteen or maybe just starting in your teenage years, then like, um, yeah. And um, yeah, I remember that um, that I, I just like changed my perspective on things for sure. Um, but I mean, yeah, that anger just kind of like got internalized, you know? Um, so how, okay, a couple of follow-up questions. Yeah. first how first one how did it change your your perspective on things well um well actually first it was the first time I was ever away from home too it's just slightly oh, interesting phenomena as well right um <laughs> it's the first time I ever got outside of my context and I think that gave me the space to really reason about like my life in a certain way um 
Yeah, which is again, like why I would advocate everybody, if you can, if you have a way out, like get some space from your situation. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that was one thing. Um, and then it sort of made me think about the consequences stuff and like where my life was headed or whatever, potentially. Uh, you know, I'm nine, but still like these things, like I was thinking about these things. Um, so it kind of just gave you like the space to think to some degree or whatever, just gave you the... Yeah 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 it also made me think like you know it made me think about like the way that we section people in society to to a degree to be honest with you um yeah like and i remember thinking like looking at the worst examples you know the people who were like potentially doing worse off and we're like getting put into like this little cage uh yeah. i remember thinking at the time too i remember i didn't even think like hey wow that person's like really fucked up i mean you know the thought crossed my mind clearly but uh <laughs> but i did remember thinking like wow the circumstances of that person's life must be like horrible um I see. well it's quite a like a, a self like that's quite a well i mean maybe not but from my perspective it's quite like a mature thought right at that age or but maybe Maybe yeah, I mean, but if you think about like what happened to me, you know, I was right. literally like in school one second and then I'm arrested the next second and then I'm in a mental ward the, the second <laughs> after that, you know, like I've just gone right. through an experience and I've like Got left it. my house and, you know, I mean, I don't know that everybody <laughs> would come to the same conclusions, but like that's a pretty big trigger, you know? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it really got me thinking about that. Second follow up question. Um when the police officers came into the the school or whatever and arrested you and they said like they just happened to be there mind you they okay, were already well, there yeah got it oh you, you got lucky <laughs> yeah it was my day it was my day yeah it was your day what 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 do you like looking back on it now like what could have they had said differently like like what do you wish they would have said to you or what, <laughs> i what actually you don't regret anything that happened right. i think everything okay. that happened should have happened exactly the way that it did. I think I needed that. Um, okay. So I actually see it as like a bit of provenance, to be honest with you. Like where I think like right. I got lucky, like probably an instance of being getting lucky. Um, okay. But quick, I know in, in previous conversations, maybe it was a different story. I'm not sure. But I remember you saying something and it impacted me. So this is why I'm kind of thinking of it. Um, I remember you saying like, you wish that the police officers to some degree or someone would have said to you like oh what's happening to you like is not your fault or whatever like I remember you saying that to me and that, that would have been comforting effect. yeah I think if if the officers would have looked at me as less of a threat and more of it as a human being um okay. that would have been helpful I think it's their training to be honest with you I mean I don't know because I'm not in law enforcement and I don't right. really have like close friends but uh yeah. From what I've been able to see in the documentaries that I've seen, and definitely with the things we've seen <clears throat> recently, right. um, which are kind of like not at the forefront as much right at the second, but have, have been on the forefront of the national consciousness. Um, right. Yeah, some, some uh, training programs that law enforcement goes through uh, train them to look at situations as like just threats, which... I will say I under, also understand because these people are on the front line and you know they're risking their lives out there so I get that but right, right. um <clears throat> but yeah I mean 
sometimes the right answer is not just to uh sometimes you can diffuse the situation Got it. Um, a little bit more empathy or something yeah maybe the okay. first step shouldn't be like how do i neutralize this with like the forceful option um but again i think that in my particular circumstance i'm actually kind of quite grateful for the things that happen right. the way that they happen um okay. yeah. and then the last follow-up question like um so you said you were very angry and all of pent-up anger um but kind of elaborate a little bit more on it like where was the source of the anger because you just felt like your circumstances weren't fair or what was exactly kind of the source of the, the anger yeah that's a really tough question um <laughs> that is something that i'm not even sure that i'm like 100 un done unpacking today um okay. but uh i think that to some degree it's like frustration um like the economic circumstances play a huge part into it uh -huh. my parents divorce and they're like very strange relationship to say the least uh right. um you know like cops were called and court cases were had and screaming matches and uh all types of trash talking but anyway um yeah my there was like frustration possibly anger at each one of my parents my economic situation myself for feeling inferior for like living in this situation and by the way i think that's actually what set me off for real um because it was a very small thing that happened that day but um i feel like it was just i felt like i'm just i'm not gonna take it i'm not gonna take this like what had happened like, that I'm, day just out of curiosity somebody literally just cut me off in line and then refused to like <laughs> acknowledge the fact that they had cut me off at nine and i was uh, just I like see how are you going to do this? And then like, and then the worst part is kind of like the lunch lady or whatever was kind of like, yeah, fuck it. Like, you know, scope. I mean, they're trying to feed like 400 kids, whatever. I get it right. uh, in retrospect. But at the time I was like, you know, I have to deal with all this crap and I'm also going to deal with this too. Like, right. no, I'm not. This is where I draw the line. Like, um, <clears throat> so yeah. Um, and then it just happened to be my day because, you know, the officers were already there and so right. that's how you that just, happened you yeah got lucky. <laughs> yeah i got lucky um yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> i don't know where does the anchor come from i don't know it's probably like a seething like like a combination of everything that kind of like happened right. in my existence um yeah um I don't know. That's the best answer I got. Uh, no, that's good. Um, and then, Flash, I remember another instance or story from your 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 childhood that you've told me in previous conversations that kind of stuck out. Um, tell the story uh, of also kind of related to anger when you were at the the locker, and I think you had kind of gotten into a fight or something because some some kid was picking on your friend. Yeah, yeah. That's so I was pretty much. I was, I think like it's fairly standard definition of like bullied uh, in middle school. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just like learned how to take the crap. Like, you know, I deal with <laughs> so much, I was just dealing, dealing with so much shit in my personal life. And then like, yeah. also like I'd go to school and just also get bullied. And I was like, I don't know, like fuck this person. Um, but I remember like I had a 
friend of mine. Uh, he was like this nerdy, like what I felt to be a defenseless kid. Um, and like we hung out together because like, I don't know, I guess we had similar interests. Um, and yeah, I remember like the kid was just giving me like shit or whatever. And I was just walking, just trying to like get to class, ignoring him, not giving him a reaction. And what, what do, like, what does a bully do when you do this? They go and they look for another target. So he starts to direct his attention at my friend and he like really got into it. Like, I remember thinking he was like screaming to this kid's ear. And I remember this kid jumped and literally like put his hands on his ears and like was all the way at the the wall. I was like, please, God, save me and get me out of the situation was like what I felt in that moment. I just remember being so pissed that at that point, like I, uh, I just completely blacked out. Like, and then I just like blacked back in and like I had him in an arm lock. And then I had literally picked his, his, like picked him up literally completely and just like ran him in the wall. I literally looked at him. I only flashed in a couple times, mind you. Like I'm completely like out of it, like straight up, like yeah. in a movie when it goes to black. Right. And, like it only, like you get a frame or two. That's what happened. Uh, yeah. And uh, I remember holding up to the wall and I was like, don't fucking do that. Don't fucking do that. And I remember I dropped him and then I walked, I turned around. And then I remember flashing back, I walked away and I literally grabbed my bag off the floor, put it over my shoulder, <laughs> looked around at the people in me. Everybody had stopped in the hallway and they were looking at me like, what the fuck? And I was right. like, you know, just don't fuck with people. It's what I thought in my head. Like literally just right. don't fuck with people. And I was like, and I just walked away and went to class, like super calm, like calm mm-hmm. as in, calm as can be. Like, yeah. Right. Um, you just had like snapped and like just wasn't even conscious in that moment. Yeah. And I was literally like, because I was okay with it. Like, I guess, I don't know, you know, I don't know if a neuroscientist would listen and be like, oh, you had like, because there's a certain chemical or whatever, right. like when you try to like protect another that like starts oh, to like, okay. um, and I don't know for some reason, like I just felt like this is a poor defenseless like kid. And I just, yeah, I just right. remember feeling so pissed. I didn't, I just, um, the, the experience then later scared me because because I was like, you know, if I have a situation like this, I could really like do something and not even be aware of it. Um, thankfully, it has never happened again. Um, that that situation in hindsight like scared me uh, for a while. Um, and yeah, and I remember, you know, what the funny part is, I get into class, into science class, and uh, one of the kids' friends goes like, "Good shit, man, you stood up for yourself." <laughs> and I was like. <laughs> thanks dude I guess like you know right. whatever um I wish I didn't have to do it in the first place is what I thought to myself but I was just like yeah thanks bro um right um yeah so <clears throat> that yeah. was an experience yeah so if we kind of continue kind of I guess flashing forward is there any other kind of like uh, let's say instrumental moments that stick out to you um in terms of your your childhood that'd be the first part question and the second part to tackle where you want the second part would be is like was there maybe not a turning point but let's say what were also the moments in your life that maybe I don't know like let's say set you in a different trajectory or, or I don't like if you kind of understand what I'm saying here absolutely um yeah I think it was around the turn well if we go back after my like little vacation uh that I took um 
and I come back to school, they appointed me with a counselor. And, uh, you know, I think we talked about it before, but in that instance, she told me to like, essentially like close my eyes and just breathe in and like, just inhale, like all the good things for me. And then just exhale all the things that are bothering me. And I remember I did the exercise reluctantly because I was like, what is this going to achieve? I literally, whatever. I, she goes, just do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so I just did it. And, um, and I remember like opening my eyes after what felt like a minute, mm-hmm. maybe like a 90 seconds. And I told her like, see, this doesn't work at all. And she's like, uh, didn't it? And then I realized, oh shit, the lights are off. And then she flicks mm-hmm. on the lights. And it had been like an hour or something crazy. Um, wow. Yeah. And I remember thinking at the time, like, man, the mind is like really powerful. Um, uh, so that was an experience. That was, again, when I was nine. Um, and then again, I had that experience later on, probably like 10 or 11 uh, in middle school. No, probably 11 to 12, actually. Um, I think the turning point comes around, like I switched schools in middle school around the age of 13. And then I like, I just made friends instantaneously. Like, you know, like I just, I made good friends. I, I don't know what it was, but the school or whatever. Maybe it was like in a more, actually, to be honest, it was a more affluent area. Um, and the kids were like nerdier, more like intellectually focused or whatever. And like, right. you know, they had like interests or whatever. And I just made friends with them like just right away. Um, I don't know. It was just like a completely different context. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just kind of like changed my perspective too. Like, you know, I'm able to like have friends. It's not such a big problem. Uh, I also moved, mind you, uh, in this, like I moved away from my childhood uh like yeah area um uh and then moved to like a better place um and so yeah that was actually the turning point it was getting out of like the neighborhoods switch the context surprise surprise uh yeah um you know different context with different people and then yeah by high school like I was pursuing my interests uh so I was they had like a little bit of budget I was always interested in computers lo and behold there's a computer science classes that I can take and there's things right. that I can apply myself to. Um, and I started to like go to competitions and win competitions, you know, uh, started to feel like better about myself and, you know, right. to those kinds of confidence building activities, you know? Uh, so it was like slow little, like guess, small wins or small little correct things that kind of built and built. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, the groundwork is definitely laid with like my experiences and perspective that I had gained, but right. But yeah, the small wins started to add up. Um, again, very, I see myself as a very fortunate person. Um, yeah. I, uh, I want to kind of hop, like, I guess, more to the, the future as well. But first, before that, um, so of all these experiences that you had kind of growing up, what would you say are the biggest slash best things that you learned um, from the experiences that you've had, um, given your circumstances? Well, really depends about like, are we talking about like the conclusions that I've made now, like today looking in retrospect or that I, the conclusions that I made like in the intermediate phases? Uh, uh, let's go today, right? Cause I would presume that today you have like, let's say even a more solid reflection of it, right? So let's go, yeah. let's go with today. I think attribution, well, I mean, just the power of context, for example, not to, um, I, I think it, I've seen this phenomenon a lot. I think a lot of people judge others by what they have and what their social status is. 
Um, and like, to me, it couldn't like matter less, to be honest with you. Um, like the type of person that you are inherently, like what, you know, your circumstances, how you feel, things like that. Those are things that like matter to me. Um, and I guess not to judge people, which I think is, you know, a big thing that I, we've talked about before. Um, yeah. you, you do not know what, like people's life circumstances. Uh, you do not know what their intentions are or the, what their perspective is. Um, presuming to know is arrogant, I think, in most cases, or ignorant. Um, and for me, like I've said before, um, when I feel like I'm judging someone, um, I feel like I need to like take a step back and really like learn more or maybe broaden my mind a little bit. Um, because most of the time, people that you disagree with, I mean, they have perfectly like rational reasons from their perspective to do what they do. Um, they may not make sense to you presently, but uh, most people like, mm -hmm. it's very rare that like someone will just like, there's like no explanation for they're doing like bizarre, like, right. yeah. Um, which I, I feel like is the approach that I think good therapists have, like, and again, why I'm really like fortunate to have encountered these people, like they don't judge your circumstances. They kind of like work with you and meet you where you are. Um, yeah. It's like the, the acceptance to some degree it's just the acceptance of you no matter what kind of thing it's just being accepted to some degree yeah i also being feel understood. like if you really zoom out and this is like something i've really learned like recently but if you really zoom out and look at our lives from an anthropological perspective we're living in like wildly unnatural environments um right. that we didn't necessarily evolve for um and then we're subjected to like different pressures um we evolved to like live together in like a tribe and like right. you know like cook a fire and like hunt together and have community yeah. like built in and, and collaborate and stuff like that and now we live like in a world where like super disconnected like there's social social like huge, massive social stratification like you know access to resources is incredibly disparate uh we live in a highly complex world that you need like knowledge to navigate and and you know therefore access to acquire such knowledge. Um, I think it's natural that like some people will have like uh, sort of a reaction that may not be adaptive to their environment. <clears throat> so. Right. Yeah. Okay. And it's like a perfectly valid perspective given their like context and the situation. Yeah. Got it. So, so I guess the biggest thing like to summarize that the biggest thing that you would learn is just is just never to really judge anyone and to kind of accept well, I mean, if you really want to take it to the abstract if you really want to get to the abstract <laughs> yeah, and that's like at the people level like there is no absolute truth everything is Got relative it. like um right. you know like pick your assumptions um what yeah. do you mean by that pick your assumptions well at a certain point like if you try to okay so let's get into this. I think in every statement, yeah. inherently, there is an assumption just by the nature of statements. Yeah. Um, 
And at a certain point, if you start to investigate your own beliefs and you ask questions and questions and questions and questions, you get to bedrock where essentially there's something that's not verifiable and you have to make an assumption. In math, we call them like axioms. Like if you relax an axiom, for example, you get like Euclidean geometry versus non-Euclidean geometry. It's relaxing an axiom. Um, and axiom is a fancy way to say like, what are the assumptions that you like? Yeah, that you can draw these conclusions from. Um, Life is like that. Um, at the end of the day, like I respect everybody's like religions, everybody's perspectives, because it's just they're choosing to work under a certain set of assumptions. And like that's the end of the day, like the best that we can do. Um, yeah. I don't uh, yeah. yeah, I don't uh, I don't really like think that there is uh, such a thing as an absolute truth anyway. Like that's what really like I've learned, like in the really like zoom all the way back out <laughs> and look at everything. Yeah. Yeah yeah okay uh, okay yeah quick question now that we're still zoomed out we'll zoom back in but now that we're still zoomed out um yeah, we're on the topic i'm curious for you do you believe there's like a right or wrong and i guess if you don't believe <laughs> the absolute truth you don't but i guess where would you get your basis or foundation for like i mean ethics you, you, or morality? Choose, you have to choose what your basis is at the end of the day it does come down to choice i think it. it's i prefer to choose my assumptions consciously um some people are handed their assumptions and i'm not saying there's anything inherently wrong with that but i've always liked to have the power of self-determination as much as possible in my life um i do operate under a set of like my values i mean that i Got have it. chosen um yeah. you know i don't really i like to be as honest as possible for example i hate lies like hate it like um <clears throat> you know i actually think that like everybody should be as honest as they can be like all the time like within you know bounds that aren't like if there's a harmful truth then maybe i don't know right maybe not disclose that if you can avoid it but uh you know don't lie to people and don't be a liar um yeah um okay no, that's like that's one that's thing fair. and you know trying to help people if you can um i really like the zen idea of not taking anything that is is not given um i think it's a good it generalizes really well um and a lot of like scopes obvious the most obvious ones are so, like don't steal uh but you know uh it, it applies it. a lot of different contexts in a really interesting way um <clears throat> don't take anything that isn't given yeah okay yeah Care to give another example? I get that in the context of like stealing and stuff, but I care to kind of I mean, apply that to uh, like consent in general is a big one. Got it. Understood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, and like various scopes. I mean, what you traditionally think of as consent, but also like, it's like for example, like let's say I was a in theory, right? Like I was a government, and I'm like trying to sell off a piece of land, like. Uh, right if uh i just like encroached on like some people's land um i mean that's not my land like it wasn't right. given to me um right. you know um okay makes sense yeah and try to stray from that as least as as, uh, as little as possible just because um even if you think that you're gonna get away with it you never do because you even if nobody else knows you know and then you have right. to live with your own like conscious if you have one unless you're a psychopath in which case yeah. well, 
And I don't yeah. mean psychopath derogatively. I mean that like actual, an actual category of people who have a different experience, but like, yeah, most of us have consciousness. Okay. You, you have to live with them. Like, um, so, you know, just don't do it. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, so kind of like zooming back in um, to your story a, l- a little bit again. Um, let's go. I want to learn more or try to understand more your mind a bit. So like in talking to you I think you're absolutely brilliant um and you're just like a walking encyclopedia (laughs) um so I want to hear kind of maybe the experiences in your life um that kind of I guess allowed you to develop your intellect the way that you have or, or kind of what do you attribute towards that well I think a lot of it was the beliefs that I was instilled with for some reason as a young kid people perceived me to be smart and they always told me that I was smart. And those things tend to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, in my opinion. If you believe you are smart, you will act accordingly. Um, so yeah, that, um, I mean, I was interested in read. I was an avid, for some reason, I'm able to read like well and fast. And, um, you know, I read a lot of books when I was young, partially for escapism, and then also partially because of curiosity. I started reading some very mature books, for example. Like I read a Stephen King novel when I was like in, must have been like first or second grade or something. And that was heavy. I was like, yeah, it was really heavy. Uh, Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess reading, uh, which is a big thing, got lucky in that sense that I liked to read and that reading is generally a really good way to acquire knowledge. my father mentioned something that really stuck with me because as a kid, you're very impressionable. He said, and he said in Spanish, and then I'll translate to English. He said, los conocimientos nunca están de más. Um, and that means that knowledge, like, you'll, there's no such thing as like excess knowledge, essentially. Um, and that has proven to be like the most true thing that man has ever said ever. Um, yeah. Um, because there's always a piece of knowledge will always connect to some other piece of knowledge in a very unexpected way, at least for me. Like sometimes I connect like really weird stuff together and I'm like, oh, wow, this like makes sense. Um, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, I think my curiosity and like how much energy I had, like being like a hyperactive child, just needing to like get that out somewhere and like, exercise my brain or whatever um yeah yeah I don't know I guess that confluence of factors just over life compounds um yeah yeah and then um if there's anything else like is there anything else kind of let's say experiences influential experiences in high school you want to touch on or or do you want to go to well, I, I mean, I think high school for everybody is a very right. influential time. Um, right, right. So many things. I mean, you know, like your parties and like meeting people, like sort of appropriating into the broader social tribe from like your, you know, just your nuclear family out to other people. Um, right. So when you flip schools or you kind of change locations, then you started. That was say, in middle school. Yeah. Making more friends. Right. And then. Yeah, and then in high school, that trend continued. Because uh, <laughs> yeah. then those people from middle school went to various high schools. Right. Um, and um, 
yeah then those friends i met the people at their high schools and then i actually started hanging a lot i hung out a lot around people around different schools so i also got to see more of like that context effect uh your context is incredibly important like right. um uh in what you like what attitudes you have and what you're into and all that so i used to hang out with kids from like various magnet schools eventually um like school for advanced studies uh yeah. sas yeah and uh i used to spend more time there sometimes than in my own high school um which funny enough i figured out a way i like sat down and i read like the school's policies on like homeschooling or whatever yeah because it's just like why not uh because actually <laughs> yeah that's well, the normal reaction let me just i'll read tell you policy. i'll tell you why i'll tell you why actually <laughs> yeah i'll tell you why um <clears throat> so by middle school by eighth grade i i was kind of like convinced that school is essentially fugazi um and i wanted to see like how far i could push like i tried to fail on purpose i was like how how hard is it to fail right uh surprisingly hard actually um the like if you literally just your body and you show up and like you can do tests or whatever like you can manage to be a c student um okay. and like yeah i struggled to try and get a d and i didn't even manage to get an f and i'm like trying to see like how hard is it to fail because that would be the legitimacy of the rating system right? right um and i saw like essentially it's not legitimate at least not in my mind um yeah. so i would kind of like scouted school like school isn't really for learning even though they say it is um and uh yeah so i went to high school like uh, freshman and junior year with that mentality and i kind of just learned on my own and like what i was interested in spent a lot of time programming for example um and uh i remember i was just under the average for school for advanced studies so i was like oh this is like a school where like they literally like take learning seriously like, oh I'm, I'm actually interested in that Right. Um, and I missed the cutoff by like 0 0.01, literally 0 0.01. Um, and I, a lot of my friends had like, were going to the school. Uh, and I was like, I could absolutely like be in the school. So whatever, that kind of stayed with me. So um, by the, by in junior year, I spent like <clears throat> tons of time there, socialized, went to the parties. Like I, they, everybody knew right. me actually. I was like the, like in a sense, like a, not everybody, but like a lot, a big part. <laughs> Hot shit. <laughs> the school is only 200 kids though, per okay, year. Cool. Yeah. So it's actually really easy to know everybody. Um, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, so in senior year, I was like, I'm gonna figure out a way that I can like do the whole high school college experience, same way that SAS does. Okay. And I sat down and I read the policies of the school district and I found the little homeschool loophole and I looked at how many credits that I had because I, I was taking extra classes in yeah. high school just because like pursuing my interests. I took like an extra microeconomics course or whatever. I was the only kid in my school to take it. So when I they, we took the AP exam, they literally put me in a, like essentially a closet and they were like, all right, well, here you go. I was like, oh, funny. okay, yeah, because the only person taking microeconomics was me. Um, um, and so I noticed that I had only two credits to graduate high school. And I was like, oh, interesting. If you are homeschooled, you can still show up to school for two classes. Exactly what I need. Interesting. <laughs> and, they'll, and you can also enroll for college classes and they'll pay for it. Interesting. So that's exactly what I did. I essentially created my own curriculum. Um, and what uh, I would do no is I, yeah, I show up to high school like one day a week 
or sorry, every other day or something like that, like half the days. Um, <clears throat> and I'd show up for like the first two periods. And then I'd just leave. I would literally walk out the door. I'd show the security guard my schedule. I'd be like, I am actually homeschooled. And then I'd go to college. And I was doing college and high school via my own curriculum, just because I figured out this loophole. And then at the right. end of the year, I was able to re-enroll myself in high school and get a diploma straight up, no GED. Um, and no so, way. yeah. Yeah, so I got a college education, like, paid for and high school at the same time. And I got to, like, just be in school whenever I wanted. Kept doing robotics, kept doing other stuff. Um, So, yeah, so that was interesting. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, then start the college years. But I don't know, that was influential, like, being able to see kids from different, like, schools and different attitudes. And, I mean, those schools also tended to be more affluent, too. Uh, even though they were merit-based, they, they tended to be more affluent. So um, what, what would you say, again, it's just the biggest differences in terms of like, yeah, the biggest differences that you would see between maybe the kids that grew up in affluence versus the kids who, who didn't in terms of how they thought in terms of all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's the mindset. I think uh, <clears throat> looking back, the kids who go to those schools are much more aware of the like social implications of school than the kids who are in the less affluent schools. Um, They kind of get that like, they go to a school, they get into a good school, they're probably gonna have a career on the other side of it. Um, So they kind of like knew the game that they were playing uh, versus I think the kids in the other schools weren't. They're just kind of like going to school, like what is this, like fuck fuck school, I don't even see the point, right? Um, Got it. Yeah. Uh, that was a big difference. Um, and question for you, like, I guess, is that message not told or like, or is it like, I guess, like, let's say you would spend a lot of money or, or whatever, a big marketing campaign. Like, I guess, how, how would you say it in a way where the message is, is received? Like, how, how do you kind of instill that mindset? I don't think this would ever get approved by a school ever, but mm-hmm. you just gotta be honest with the kids, like legit about what school is about. Like, you know. I see. Like, look, like, you have to go through this kind of bullshit system more or less to get the signaling, to get the credentials, to get enrolled XYZ into this. Correct. Yeah, it wasn't. It. it was not obvious to me at all uh, that that was what we were doing in school. To right. me, school was always sold as learning and. I judged it like this. I judged it like, am I learning? Not really. So what's the point? What is this garbage that I spend my time on like daily when I could be like reading or learning or, you know, like Mark Twain, you know, I don't let my uh, schooling get in the way of my education or something like that. Got it. Right. That was my mentality. Yeah. And and that's just something that because I know like as a kid like right that was that's what my parents always taught me oh like you have to do this so that you can whatever go to college and then get a job and I guess that's like from from a parent's standpoint um yeah it's it just a part my, of the system you figured out right yeah. yeah exactly right with my like my mother would just drop me off at school and it'd be like I mean go to school partially right. like go to school so I can work uh you know Got not it. like go to school because if you get good marks in school then you'll get into a good school and then you'll go because my mother did not know that either got like it, got it. I mean how is she supposed to instill this in me um you right. know um so 
you know, later on, which is funny, later on when I drop out of college, she does say like, oh, go get your degree. Cause like she understands like a degree like gets you a job. But then by that time I kind of understood like a degree doesn't really like guarantee you a job either. Um, right. You know, uh, but yeah, I mean, my perspective on school, again, I just wish it didn't have the mixed messaging. I wish it did not present itself uh, as something that is actually not. Because uh, I think if you, at least in my opinion, if you look at like the curriculum and what it gets done in schools, it's not about learning. Like, I mean, maybe it's like a state-funded like daycare, um, you know, or, right. or perhaps it's like a playground for kids to socialize. But like, is it about learning? Eh, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think there could be a lot better. But I would say like, I mean, from my experience, I mean, right, obviously, but at least, yeah, you learn some things. Yeah, but, you can write. I mean, hell, it's a school. And, right. Yeah. Right. You right, should right. learn some things, but are you like really <laughs> learning? I don't right. know. And objectively, I mean, that's sort of the case. We look at the country as compared right. to other countries and like learning outcomes and stuff like that. Yeah. You know. Always for, for, for more improvement. In the US. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're you're from yeah. yeah, you're well, I don't know. Did you were you did you go to school in Canada? Yeah, yeah, I went to school in Canada. And I would say, like, look, in my opinion and experiences, Canada's like pretty similar to the US. I don't think there's a whole lot of huge differences. Um, yeah. so I would say the experience in the U.S. is probably pretty similar to, to Canadian. They say it's like it's like um like where you are in the street. So like California is very similar to Vancouver, uh, New York is very similar to Toronto, and then like the the Midwest or like the middle of America is very similar to the middle of Canada, which is where I am. Right, I'm in the middle. So like right. live growing up here would be comparable to growing up in like I don't know North Dakota or Iowa or something, you know. So interesting how geography really um, yeah. again back to the context point right. yeah the differentiation between peoples right. and economic like activity and all of that again mm -hmm. context matters um quick question was there any other like differences so like okay one would be like the importance on on or importance or understanding of how the education system worked in terms of context of society but was there any other kind of no differences you noticed well they understood they had like passions and interests they were differentiated as individuals because I think that they maybe had more, more opportunities to explore what they liked and didn't like. And they were interesting as people. That's actually what drew me there was like, they were just interesting as people. Whereas as the people at like my high school were not really interesting as people. Um, Got it. Okay. Interesting. That's a insightful just because the, the, the kids had just the opportunity essentially in, in the affluent school. That's what I attributed to. I mean, I right. guess you could say that every potentially every single kid inherently had some like, but I don't know, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um yeah, you could definitely see the differences in the kids for sure. Like uh yeah, like even like what music they listen to, how they dress, how they dressed, obviously, but um, you know, what kind of interests they had, how well read they were. Um, yeah. Question for you. What was like the opinion, two part question. What was the opinion of the kids in the non-affluent schools of the kids in the affluent schools and then vice versa of the affluent schools on the non I'm not sure that these groups were uh, whole, like mostly aware of each other. I see. So you see the answer there, which I think probably okay. holds pretty true for like 
the different like stratification of like society i don't think i mean you engage with people generally within your same your stratosphere yeah 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 and so as okay so let's say as um people grow a little older and maybe not become 100 percent aware but like interact with people with different like stratospheres without maybe understanding what would be like common perceptions let's say in in your i would ask to that to that uh to that question i'd ask the question do people interact outside of their social like well i don't know if they interact but it's like like for example like on the news right or like you know i'm not sure if they interact on like like a uh, a person to person level maybe they do maybe they don't well you do right but not not on a daily basis right let's say one time or two time encounters let's say maybe maybe not i mean I don't know. I think in public life, we're very isolated in the United States. We don't really have like a community, a center of community or anything like that. Like previously the function of like organized religion, like where do you go to like, you know, now you live online, but like, right. Yeah. Like how deep does that relationship kind of go? Like people that you know online. Um, Like, yeah, if you're very, very affluent, like, or you're very, very poor, I don't think that you really, I mean, first off, you're geographically isolated because neighborhoods and like zoning and, you know, stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Suburbs versus inner city. Uh, So first off, there's that. Um, And then that in and of itself, like in your social networks, how many people are you going to know that like straddle both those worlds? Like, I don't, I actually think the answer and, you know, if I can opine, opine on the, our, social state in the united states i think a lot of it is that we uh we don't know each other like, right yeah we don't well, uh we don't yeah. interact with each other and we don't maybe feel like we need each other either i think it really helped if people tried to avoid snap judgments yeah. um i think asking why and trying to also be aware of your own emotions and your own bias. You need self-awareness to avoid like taking your immediate reaction as truth. Um, yeah. Huh, um, interesting. Yeah. You may think, does this situation make like, oh, this situation makes me angry. Okay, why? Okay, is that affecting like my judgment of the situation? Am I afraid? Um, you know, am, am I feeling indignant, uh, whatever, whatever emotions you may feel like, you know, just coming back to like the Zen thing, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, as Zen as a, like a fundamental idea, you kind of have to like accept that everything that you perceive is like an illusion. Essentially, you're not perceiving anything like perfectly. Um, and it's like, you know, I mean, even like your vision is just like your brain piecing together, like you know this the signal that comes in through your eyes you're not even like i'm not even seeing you i'm seeing in my brain like my (laughs) right algorithm for putting together the like perturbations that hit my eyes you know so i got a very fundamental level i think you you appreciate that like you're not even getting like objective data um and that yeah, like your emotions will sort of uh, 
maybe like not leads you to the right conclu right conclusions right um yeah like even so, like what i what my vision of you of what you look like and what my vision of i look like could be 100 percent different than the vision that you look like to you and that i look like to me oh i guarantee that it is yeah yeah so yeah. um i mean yeah. i think if you look at something that's fundamental it's like dysmorphia uh hmm. it's like case in point like i don't know if you're familiar with like mm -mm. yeah so dysmorphia like the most common form of or i think like the most uh i won't say popular because it's not a necessarily a positive thing but like body dysmorphia like somebody who many people will uh, say hey this person is like a healthy way be like oh my god i'm so like fat and that's right. a bad thing you know right yeah dysmorphia like same person different perception right um you know like this everything mm -hmm. it's like that yeah okay um yeah that makes sense um okay so going back a little bit um talk to me a little bit more about why you kind of started pursuing the path of of entrepreneurship yeah yeah uh, um i think i started to pursue the path of entrepreneurship originally i start to pursue the path of entrepreneurship because I thought it was more interesting than the other routes that seemed to be available. Mm -hmm. um, then I stayed, I think, with entrepreneurship for I think the reason that a lot of entrepreneurs stay with entrepreneurship, which is that it doesn't seem like you really fit in uh, any other place, you know? Um, like entrepreneurship is all like you know and i apologize that this is not how you'd like to be classified as an entrepreneur but entrepreneurship is where the weirdos go like you <laughs> the know non-cool people like the non-societal yeah. cool people like well i mean you might be cool but you might be like a little like there's something a little different yeah. or whatever you know you're just like ah, i'm not gonna do things the other way around i think right. i think it makes well, sense you, yeah by nature you're kind of testing boundaries or creating like you're yeah. you're pushing the limits to, to some degree right right unconventional like finding the exceptions or yeah <laughs> uh yeah and it's the unconventional path i mean for now right. i hope it does become the conventional path i think everybody should have like a business where they're like right. it works for them yeah um but anyway yeah so i feel like that's where i potentially like like the, i got into it because maybe it was more interesting and maybe i thought it could afford me like some freedoms because uh, again, self-determination is a really big thing for me personally, mm -hmm. always has been. Um, yeah, having like a, retaining a, a degree of autonomy. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, I think I just stayed because I don't think like, you know, I don't think life really makes sense otherwise, to be honest with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And tell me about your, so uh, you and um lewis that was your first uh gig your first venture kind of thing when you and lewis hooked up together well i dabbled in entrepreneurial things before that time i mean okay. maybe by like a different idea but like you know like selling uh whatever like you know selling video games like trading and stuff like that uh yeah um you know, I did the whole like candy thing with selling the school candy. And that was really interesting too, <laughs> that like I could exchange something for money and then they would be happy yeah. for that and I'd get money. 
Um, uh, yeah. What else? Um, there's a couple of things here and there. My my dad actually used to take me on with him when he would do like door to door sales. Uh, okay. So that was a cool experience. Uh, probably pretty useful. It probably just seeped into my subconscious. Um, so my dad is actually a pretty entrepreneurial guy, I guess. Um, yeah, and that's probably like pretty good education I got just from like being there like by right. osmosis. Um, yeah, and then I remember the first thing, the first time I sold like software was to my economics professor. Um, so that was interesting because um, I was in class but then I was able to make money off, you know, doing a project for him. And then I was like, what am I doing in class? But anyway, uh, um, yeah. And then it kind of just developed. I went down some avenues that I learned from, uh, like, for example, I think the, the ideas that at least I had, about startups like proper startups and things like that i don't think lead to like uh in most cases lead to good outcomes for like the the founders so the founders yeah yeah so i've so i've um yeah i've like changed the way i've redefined my relationship with entrepreneurship okay. um, in recent times yeah um, the more of the dane maxwell start from zero model Emphasize. yeah yeah indie, hackers, yeah indie hacker the bootstrapper the like really like sell it build it learn iterate all that good stuff instead of try to create a billion dollar company right out the gate uh <laughs> think that you're gonna get venture capital money uh get really complicated on the mechanism and not uh you know, it's just like a lot of mistakes that I see a lot of people making. A lot of entrepreneurs make those mistakes. A lot of people. Yeah. What would you say those, would you say that's the biggest mistake or what would you say the most common mistakes that you, you find other new entrepreneurs making? I think the biggest red herring of like the quote unquote tech startup is that it's, uh, that it's the tech that matters. That's the mechanism that matters. It's really not. It's your customer problem. Um, and their their willingness to try and solve that problem that's where you should start stay yeah. keep coming back to and work everything okay. off of that if you end up with an interesting mechanism based off of that then yeah it all opens up some mm -hmm. possibilities for you but i also think that the whole model of completely um like creating an infinitely scalable business um it's like fraught with risk for various reasons um, the most basic one is that if you're able to automate every part of your business, somebody else's as well. Um, and that means that you've essentially commoditized your business. So the moment that there's a competitor that has better features than you do, um, you're going to lose those customers unless you have some type of like moat, like network effects or some yeah. other situation, um, that's going to help you like high switching costs for some reason, which that kind of barrier is like eliminated it's like less and less every day because of the internet and the ubiquity of information and, you know, right. technology and options and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I think that uh, like maybe the lifestyle business is a dirty word in the venture capital game for obvious uh -huh. reasons. 
uh, or at least to me, they're <laughs> obvious. So I'll explain what they yeah. are. I mean, as a venture capitalist, I don't think you can really make a lot of money uh, yeah. in the traditional VC model on a on a, a lifestyle business. <laughs> but it's yeah. very good for the founders, and it could lead you to opportunities that could potentially scale. Um, yeah. yeah, with your knowledge, and just you know, have you can create a much healthier business and uh, probably avoid some burnout and some massive mm -hmm. risk in the other models. Um, yeah, so I would caution anyone who's doing entrepreneurship, who's just getting started out to just go and interview people about their problems in a certain way. Like read this book called The Mom Test. It will save you time. Uh, you know, read, start from zero, from Dan Maxwell. Uh, yeah get a good mentor to help you close your first few sales and just like start small and develop your entrepreneurial skills. Uh, okay. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of the skills transfer from a simple business to a more complex business. But if you try to go for the complex business first and you don't have your fundamentals, mm -hmm. you might struggle a lot. I want to touch on a little bit um, on your, your car accident. And if you any kind of reflections on that, um yeah before we kind of head out here i want to hear about that yeah um i think uh i think anytime you feel like you're you've almost died it makes you uh yeah it makes you really rethink like what living is um and it really made me think like i just can't do like this business thing that i'm doing the same way what am i doing with my life like <laughs> i could die at any moment and that was very real to me and it is very real to me um and yeah that really prompted me to like you know seek like spirituality in terms of meditation and all that um and yoga and all, all that good stuff um but also to really rethink like what i want to do professionally and how i spend my time like working versus living and like you know yeah my personal relationships my relationship with my family my relationship to myself my emotions working through like past traumas and stuff like that really just like more self-care mm -hmm. it really like revolutionized a lot of aspects of my life um mm -hmm. because i had that experience really made me take a step back and think like like i should live more consciously okay um, yeah um, and how do you how do you define um living consciously i think i know but for other people like what would you define as living consciously I think what you do every single day should be well considered. Um, I don't think that you should make decisions because of the inertia that you have in your life. Like, hey, I've got this career, so I'm just gonna make these decisions because, like, ah, oh, this is the career that I have, or whatever. Right. Or, uh, you know, this is how I define myself. Hence, I'm gonna take this kind of decision. Like, you can always redefine yourself and always right. strike a different, like, like life bargain. You know. Um, you can work less, find ways to make more money. You can spend time with more time with your family. Like I had read a Harvard, uh, Harvard study that they did. I think they asked people on their deathbed, like what were their greatest regrets or something like that. Right. Um, and I think there was only like a few top ones that emerged. One of them was not spending enough time with like loved ones, like working too much or whatever. And not, yeah. Like what, what matters at the end really. Right. right. Uh, that not taking like risks not taken like not even they don't care about the failures they care about the risks they didn't take the what ifs right second one uh yeah. 
God, and I think there was a third one, but now it, it's sort of escaping me. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I think those are the two like major, major ones. Uh, not spending enough time with your loved ones, not taking risks. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So nice. I don't know. Take it from that. Like then it's a regret <laughs> minimization framework. I think I have to be All at right. the point. I had the insight. It's like I, I should be at the point where if I die any given day, if I had the chance to think about whether or not I'd be happy about that, then I should be happy at that moment. Not thinking, oh well, I never got to achieve this thing far off in the future that I was like kind of like. God, it's I like going after what you want, right? Going after what and you the want now, right now. Being yeah. present. Try not to trade the present for the future too much. I mean, you know, make decisions that maybe over the long term would help you but like enjoy the moment enjoy the journey uh how do you balance in your mind so this is this is the thing i'm kind of been struggling with thinking with right like i guess um if you believe the the root of a lot of suffering is desire right and that would be trading your present moment for the future to to some degree right or that's what you're going for how do you kind of balance that right because you don't you want something in the future usually stuff in my experience is stuff that you want that's worth it takes a lot of sacrifice right so i guess where do you find that balance between staying in the present and then you know i mean trading your present moment happiness for something that might have some future benefits right yeah i think the way that i resolve that apparent conflict is like by combining i just happen to be reading both these things at the same time i started i was reading uh the three pillars of zen and I was reading Atomic Habits. And in Atomic Habits, there is a principle that the, the process is more important than the goals. Mm-hmm. And in Zen, there's a concept that the ways, be, the means become the ends or the ways become, you know, like means and ends become one thing. Like essentially you live your goals by doing the thing itself. It's like very like recursive and self-referential. And then in Atomic Habits, it's like just focus on the pro- on the process and the goals will take right. care of themselves. So essentially, figure out how you live every single day such that your goals will take care of themselves and okay. that you are achieving what you ultimately want. Got it. Okay, cool. Google, that's very yeah. insightful. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then jumping uh, more reflections, but reflections from our previous conversation what would you tell other people? And I know we touched on this a bit in Lewis's podcast, but like, what would you tell people who grew up in the same sort of circumstances, more or less, um, as you? Yeah. I got, I got 15 minutes, but let me see. Um, ask for help um it's okay to ask for help try to step away from your context if you can um ultimately it's probably not your fault um there's nothing wrong with you on an individual level although you may feel that way and that's valid um You know, everything that you want is ultimately within your power to achieve. Um, 
I think you have to grow into that belief over time. Uh, I mean, just the basic like affirmations, like you are enough, you can achieve what you want. Um, you are a special human being, like just like know that and repeat it to yourself. And yeah, unfortunately, when you grow up in these kind of circumstances, you believe you begin to attribute a lot of like negative things about yourself. Like, oh, I can't achieve this or that. You have like self-limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, I mean, again, that's product of your circumstances. It's actually not, uh, it's not inherently true. Like, you know, all of us have the ability to achieve what we want. Um, yeah, which is actually kind of funny because I came to that conclusion before I ever got into Zen. But in Zen, there's like this concept that everybody has an essential, uh, an essential Buddha nature within us. Um, and that we are all able to achieve like, you know, our enlightenment or whatnot. And I think in some sense, I mean, we're all able to achieve anything we set our minds to. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with anybody. So. Prior to when you got super into Zen and stuff, um, and when you're younger, what what helped you get over your self-limiting beliefs? Identification was a big part. Um, sometimes it manifests in insidious ways, like you don't know that you're sort of doubting yourself, or you might find like, oh, I just don't want to do that thing, and why? It's like, oh, I'm afraid of failure, or what is that going to mean about me? You know, or like, yeah. oh, I don't know that I deserve this, or any other of the different versions that that takes um and so identifying that and being aware of that be like oh okay and then just literally just deciding like no i'm gonna do it i'm gonna prove myself like you know i can do it and you just buck that idea because you're literally operating against your beliefs you have to kind of take action to change what you think about yourself so you have to kind of contradict your own thinking which is hard it's a difficult thing and how would you suggest it's just the continual process of telling yourself that or like what would be the steps to change these deep-seated beliefs that you have about yourself i mean first off take well first try to be aware try to identify in your own thought patterns your own like what you would say like negative thoughts negative self-talk limiting beliefs and stuff like that if you have to journal journal i i didn't particularly i mean i did journal a little bit actually throughout several times but like most of mine is just like okay, that thought, where's that coming from? Think about those thoughts. So think right. about your own thoughts. So there's a degree of Zen in everything, right? Like Zen is sort of, and meditation is sort of observing your thoughts and being detached from it. You have to do that um, mm -hmm. to get past it. Um, so that, then take action because your action shapes your beliefs. If you do things and try it and you're successful, it'll start to change your beliefs. Then go back and think about why you believe things about yourself aka therapy whether you do it on your own or you do it through guided means um and yeah just every day just show up like you just yeah. show up and you try and you will succeed over time and it will change your opinion about yourself and that will be a positive feedback loop um in the positive direction okay. um cool so that's how you do it cool cool and then two more questions because I'm, I'm running out of juice on my earphones anyway. <laughs> so before my earphones die, but two more questions. Um, how do you define a successful life in your opinion? 
I think that it varies wildly based off of your individual perception and anything. Any way that you define success is like fine. As long as it's from your, it comes from you and it truly gratifies you. And, you know, ideally it would not be harmful to others. Got it. And then how, what's your, I agree with you. Now what's your definition (laughs) with all of that? That's really, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's a really good question. I think it's, I don't want to rely on somebody else's uh, definition, but I think this is a component that I think I identify with. So Steve Jobs said, like, if you have to get up in the mirror and you're like dreading what you do too many days, uh, that's a bad sign, um, for example. Um, I like to be genuinely engaged, enjoy what I'm doing day to day, feel like I'm challenging myself, feel like I'm succeeding, feel like I'm helping others. Uh, Like, you know, I like interpersonal interaction just like and also i think the key is if if you feel like you could do this every day of your life and still be happy it's probably a good sign like yeah if you feel like you're only doing this so you can get to some other state uh probably not a good sign um interesting because then you're you're literally trading the present for the future so you're not being in the moment so it's kind of like the Zen thing, like your ways become, your, your means become the ends. Ways and means become ends. Yeah, that's like okay. sort of happiness for me in an abstract sense. And you know, what is that? that that's what happiness, success means to me. And the concept of that can change, but that's success, my personal definition. Got yeah. it, got it. Nice. And then last question. Um, I know we touched on this a little bit with Lewis, but yeah if you could if you let's say you have kids and you want to teach them three to five traits or yeah. whatever what are your three to five traits that you think would be um Oof. saving the hard hidden questions uh-huh. in the last five minutes all right um <laughs> i think the first trait is to be open-minded uh, so yeah, not judging. Uh, which I guess implies awareness and all this kind of stuff. So like, you know, you know, Zen type style stuff. Um, the other is to like, trust yourself. You know, like, again, I try to instill in my child that like, again, they're inherently just good and like worthy of things uh and uh and the other part is just to to kind of like to show up you know like i don't mean like you don't have to necessarily be working hard in uh air quotes um but if you show up enough and you stick with it you'll end up doing the work so just show up yeah so like essentially don't judge believe in yourself and show up nice awesome i like it pretty good values i think yeah i like it i like it but thank you chris thanks for the conversation um insightful as always and i always enjoy our talks so i appreciate i really appreciate you sharing a bit of your story um and i think that you have a lot of 
experiences and valuable insights um, that are helpful to others. So thank you. Thank, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Cool. Have a wonderful day. I'm going to go run to the next thing. Awesome. <laughs> you too. Have a great day. Bye. Yeah. Bye, Chris. This was part one of the two-part series. Part one is just more about Chris and his life. Uh, I'm releasing another episode where me and Chris pretty much just shoot the shit about entrepreneurship and lifestyle business and kind of the VC world. So if that interests you, make sure you listen to part two with Christian Echeverria, the Zen entrepreneur. If you want to find Chris on Twitter, his handle is at Chris, uh, C-H-R-I-S, G-E-R-E-I-N-A. So make sure to give him a follow on Twitter. Always lots of value add tweets. Uh, also, you can find his company uh, on the internet. It's www.instantinbound.com. Um, and again, nothing but great things to say about him and his work and what he does. So if you need to, to reach more customers, he is your guy. So be sure to check it out. Be sure to check out the website, www.humansoftheworld.co. And follow us on Instagram. That's at Humans of the World Podcast. There, make sure you join our Telegram group chat uh, and join some other cool people from around the world. So with nothing more, I hope you have a fantastic day.